0: You know you have a good coworker when you want to see them on a Saturday, and that's exactly what happened last Saturday with my coworker Carly, Lanch, and I. I invited her to go skiing with me, and she was totally down. We had a fantastic day out um, skiing up in the Cottonwoods, and it was just a blast. Um, she and I sit in the same office together. We sometimes will do... Well, Carly will do more of the dancing. I'll watch and observe her and then um, we'll chat each other when it's time to be quiet. Um, She'll send me articles and she's just fantastic. She's so much fun to have as a coworker and I'm lucky to have her as a friend as well. Um, So I finally was like, Carly, you need to be on the podcast. You have so many stories because literally every time I want to do something, I'm like, Carly, have you done this before? Do you have any suggestions? And it's always yes. Yes. She's just so well versed and wide traveled and she's done it all. She's a biker, she's a skier, she's an ice skater, she's a runner, she's she can do it all, literally. Um, so anyway, I finally was like, You need to you need to tell us a story. And so she whipped one up with us for us, and it's a fantastic story about um well, I'll let her tell you what it's about, but it's really exciting and fun, and I'm super grateful that we have Carly in our division. Just a plug for Carly, she's Um, helped me a ton with the podcast and actually came up with our name so you can give Recreation Elevated. Carly gets credit for that. So thanks, Carly, for being awesome. And thanks for telling your story.
1: All right. Hello, everybody. My name is Carly Lanch and my amazing coworker, Caroline Weiler, had the fun idea to start this podcast, Recreation Elevated, and while she cooks up some great episodes for you, I thought I would uh, scheme up a campfire story of my own to share. But first I'll introduce myself. I'm a lifelong Utah from the Park City and Camas Valley areas, more specifically in Oakley. My folks moved to Park City during a time when you didn't need to be a millionaire to live on Main Street, and when it was much more feasible financially to be a ski bum. I've done what I like to call a Utah yo-yo. I've lived in Logan a few times, Salt Lake City a few times, and I've called Midway, Park City, and Oakley home at some point in my life. I like to call it the Utah yo-yo, as I say. For me now, all, all of Utah is home, and I pinch myself every day that I get to live, work, and play in such a diverse landscape. I recently joined the Utah Division of Outdoor Recreation's team as a recreation planner back in August of this year, which is 2022, if you're listening in from the future. My, my background is in community and urban planning, active transportation, and trail planning. Before I joined the division, I worked for Cache County as their trail planner for a few years. And before that, I worked for the Utah State Office of the Bureau of Land Management. And before that, I ran away to Hokkaido, Japan, which is the country's Northern Island um, for a ski season right after college. When Caroline forced me to do this, no, I'm just kidding, she didn't force me. Um, (laughs) I really struggled to pick a single campfire story There's so many invaluable life lessons and experiences that come from our time spent outdoors. I feel like so much of the person that I am today has been shaped by my adventures outside with my family, friends, or even strangers on the trail. So here's my story. (laughs) A couple years ago, I started doing this super crazy thing called bikepacking. It's like backpacking, but with a bike, and it's a lot harder if you have weight on your back, opposite of backpacking. You want all of it, all of your weight or most of your gear to be rigged up on the frame of your bike to make it easier. So I'd gone on a couple of trips and I had that experience under my belt. Um, And then uh, my significant other, uh, he decided that he wanted to go on a big adventure for his birthday. Um, And so the, the idea that he schemed up was basically a bike pack combined with a little bit of rock climbing and um, getting to the top of a small desert tower. My first thought was, okay, sounds awesome. And it sounds like it'll be the longest trip I've ever been on and like, it'll push me to my limits. Um, And my second thought was, is anyone crazy enough to join us? So the route is uh, 160 miles and it's called the Grand Staircase Loop. You can find it on bikepacking.com which is a great resource for people bikepacking. The route goes through spectacular terrain in the National Monument, some of which are seldomly traveled back roads, many are bentonite clay, um, and can be impassable after weather. I started getting ready for the adventure by getting new gravel tires on my Kona Rove, which is my bike, (laughs) and figuring out how to carry everything I needed to eat, drink, and camp on my bike. A few days prior, I ended up splurging a little bit and bought myself new bags to carry water on the fork of my bike. I was so excited and stoked to finally feel like I was becoming a real bike packer, with the proper bags and bike and tires and all. My first few trips were on a full suspension bike with bags I either borrowed or I got for little money somewhere, and the setup was not ideal. There was there was too much weight on my back, uh, in my backpack, which was slowing me down a lot. My I was locking out my suspension, and that wasn't enough to prevent the uh, seat post bag from rubbing on my tire, um, which eventually ripped the bag, and it also actually ripped my sleeping bag, which was inside of it, so not ideal. But it was safe to say that I was really excited on my new gear and having more confidence um, going into this trip. So as the trip neared, we, we ended up finding another couple that was as crazy as we were and wanted to bike out. Pal- bike pack the route with us. The craziest thing of all, though, was that it was their first bike packing trip, just diving into the deep end. So my my thought was racing, or my mind was racing, and I was wondering, you know, would they be okay? Did they have the right gear? All, the, all of these kind of anxious thoughts. Um, I tend to have a little bit of pre-trip anxiety, no matter what I do. Um just just kind of the excitement and the, the pre-adrenaline of of embarking on something that I know will will test my limits physically. So when we ended up loading up our bikes at the starting point um, of the route, I couldn't help but size up my friend's bike. She borrowed her friend's hardtail and put a pannier rack on the back with one of those hard plastic grocery container bins strapped to it. I'll never forget that her Crocs were carabinered to the outside of the bin. She used a rope to weave a lid-like contraption um, to keep all of her camp equipment in, in the bin from bouncing around while she rode. It was a makeshift situation, um, as was mine the first few trips that I had gone on, but I will say that they weren't quite as creative as the grocery container paneer rack combination. So not an unusual thing to see attached to a bike. You know, you see it in cities all the time when people are bike commuting, but 160 miles on dirt roads, I was hoping that our setup would, would hold and, and, for all of a, and that all of our bikes would, would um, you know, stand, stand the test of the trip. <laughs> um, but anyways, if you've ever bike packed, you know that the first few miles you ride are constantly stop and go. You're adjusting your bags and getting situated to make sure it all stays together. The first few miles were just that for us, very stop and go and also straight uphill. An occasional hike-a-bike type of uphill. When, <laughs> when we were about 20 miles in, all we had stopped first. So when we were about 20 miles in on our trip, we had stopped to take a snack break, only to find out that the birthday boy himself had just broken his handlebars. Yep, you heard that right. His carbon handlebars snapped on the descent we had just done. I didn't even know that was an option for a breakdown. If I'm being honest. We all felt crushed for him and for all of us, really. Our minds were racing, you know, thinking that we needed to cut the trip short or or bail already and it was our first day. Um, I I started thinking, you know, how long would it take us to bike back to the cars and drive the road to where where we were? Well, this said birthday boy wouldn't take bailing on his epic bikepacking climbing adventure as a viable option. He was determined and we had to get creative. After going through all of our gear to see what could work, the solution finally came to him. And that solution, it was climbing tape and a metal spoon. <laughs> That's, so he ended up splinting his handlebars um, with a spoon and some climbing tape, and we were off on our merry way again. So day one was an emo- emotional journey for me. The nerves of getting going, the low of the handlebar incident, the high of reaching camp, and having spent a day in gorgeous, rugged desert in the saddle. Nothing tastes better than dinner after after you've earned it by suffering a little bit. When day two rolled around, I was feeling it. My whole body felt sore when we started. The morning was cold. This all took place mid-November. The daytime was perfect riding weather, though, but the night was chilly and made me feel stiff in the morning. We pedaled our way all the way to the little town of Big Water in Kane County, where we refilled our water bottles, enjoyed the proximity to civilization, and then hopped in the saddle again, only to be met with a recently graded sandy road. I was not about to add needless suffering to the ride um, to follow the bikepacking.com route, so we shaved off a couple miles and just biked on the the shoulder of Highway 89. It was a great reprieve to be on pavement for a second. You ride so much faster um, when you're... On pavement as opposed to gravel or dirt roads. So uh, one, of my <laughs> one of my greatest strengths also happens to be one of my greatest weaknesses, um, which is that I can be a little competitive. Uh, when someone else is faster than me, it makes me push harder, and when I'm not the best, it makes me lose motivation and feel negatively about myself sometimes. So this trip tested all of my physical limits. I definitely had a few teary moments of complete exhaustion and feeling defeated. Luckily, I was in the back of the small pack the entire time, and I'm not kidding when I say the entire time. What's worse than suffering on a bike for hours on end? Being the slowest and struggling to keep up while you're suffering and at your wit's end. All I could see were the crocs dangling on the back of the grocery bin, Um, on my friend's bike just ahead of me. Deep in the pain cave is where I was, as my my dad would say. (laughs) While I lament over the suffering, there were moments of total bliss and happiness too. Excitement to be making progress, enjoying the landscape, and proving to myself that I could do it. Day two came and went, and we found ourselves perched on a Mars-like mound of earth, watching the stars, treasuring every bite of food, and thinking warm thoughts to stay warm. On day three, I felt a lot better than I did the day before. It was as if my body was getting used to the amount of riding we were doing. And that was a good thing because day three was our climbing day. We woke up with the sun and got moving, reaching the climbing area around our target time. The days were shorter this time of year and we needed to make sure we had enough sunlight. Before we started the trip, we stashed several gallons of water and a few beverages and a climbing rope for ourselves near the climbing area. Hot water has never tasted so good. We spotted the tower off in the distance, stashed our bikes, and navigated through washes and sagebrush to get to the rocks. It was hot, and I was feeling like adding that I was feeling like cl- adding this climbing adventure to our trip was a little crazy. Nonetheless, we'd come this far. We put on our climbing gear, and the birthday boy set the single pitch to the tower. I'll never forget watching each of us take a turn on the top of that tower um, and celebrating the moment. It was really rewarding. There was a there was a ledger at the top. Um, And if it's accurate, that meant that our group was the fourth ascent, um, which was a pretty cool feeling to know that not many people had done what we had done. Um, When we got back to our bikes, we set up camp amongst the cow patties um, and had no problems falling asleep whatsoever because we were so tired. And I remember falling asleep thinking to myself, well, you know, we've made it this far. The hard part is over. We are so close to the end. (laughs) And that leads me to our final day, which was day four, which was an absolute doozy. The first 10 miles were easy, fun, fast, and everyone felt lighthearted. It was as if we were cruising and just crushing all the miles that day. Um, We only had 30 or so left to go. That is, until we got separated for a few miles. The speedy birthday boy was in the lead and missed a turn. I had to bike several miles, yelling for him to slow down and, and catch us. Um it's a bizarre feeling when you're, you know, deep in the wilderness and you don't see uh the person that you're looking for on, on the road in front of you and your friends are are behind you and you just feel a little bit disconnected and it was kind of scary to get separated for a moment. Um we were able to reconvene um and at that point it was <laughs> the downward spiral for the rest of the day. Um the roads were steep gravel and required a lot of hike bike We were all tired and ready to be home, but the only way out was through. The final mileage took up so much longer than we had thought. Um, And to make matters worse, our friend ended up snapping his derailleur hanger. If you're a biker and you've snapped your hanger, you know that it is not a great situation to be in. When it happened to me on a trail in Park City a few years ago, I had to call it a day. And luckily I could coast the few miles back to my car. We were not so lucky here. We still had a ways to go. It was already slow going and we knew that sunset was nearing. We did what you have to do in a worst case scenario like this. We turned the bike into a fixie or a single speed, meaning you're stuck in one gear, making the uphills harder and the downhills less efficient. But it does mean that the bike is usable and that you can bike away from where you are. So as the darkness neared of the, you know, night closing in on us, we finally made it back to our cars in one place. We were all so exhausted and simultaneously so rejuvenated from completing our journey of just about 160 miles and one desert tower in the books. It was it was amazing and rewarding and 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 tested my limits in a lot of ways, but it was also worth it just to feel that sense of accomplishment and getting to the end of something that was really challenging and a little bit daunting. Um, so if I had to take look at the takeaways and kind of the moral of the sort story, I guess, um, it would be one, most importantly, just because you have nicer or fancier gear does not mean that you will be faster or better than anyone else. <laughs> that was the biggest takeaway for me. Um, number two, when you think you've gotten past the hard part and you've told yourself that the rest will be a breeze, just always think again. Maybe just don't even get to that point. Um, (laughs) that would be my recommendation. Just accept that there could be, you know, some bumps in the road no matter what part of a journey you're in because as soon as you think that you're in the clear is often when, um, the derailleur hanger will snap or, you know, your handlebar will break, um, so lastly, number three, uh, this is a universal truth that food tastes better after a very hard adventure and pizza tastes the best, especially when you get it at the Escalani Outfitters in in town there in Escalani. So that's my campfire story. And thanks for tuning in and uh, looking forward to see you, seeing you all on the trail. Thanks.
0: The <laughs> statement that... Everything tastes better, but pizza tastes best and i can I can totally agree with that I can count on I can't count on one hand how many times I've had pizza after one of these days out, and it's literally the best thing ever and I will also concur that the gear is important, but it's not the most important thing because I've been passed in many a race or the uphill skin track or whatever it is on someone in gear far less um light or new as my own, so I appreciate that that sentiment as well, Carly. Thank you. Um, okay guys, we're in for a really good treat on the next one. I don't want you to miss out. Um, I interviewed Brett Kobernick with the Utah Avalanche Center, um, just in December. Actually, it's been over a month now, which is crazy. The time is just going by, but I had such a fun day with him, um, and his wife, Laura, and I just want you to hear about it. So look forward to that coming up in the next podcast. Again, we're always taking submissions for our campfire stories, so please, please, please email me. Tell us your story. I know that you've got them out there, and we want to hear them. So thanks from the Division of Outdoor Recreation for listening, and we'll see you next time.